0: A few of us were chuckling, just a little bit, uh, not at Tom, but with Tom during the welcome, at sort of the uh, the heightened sense of life just passing us by. <laughs> you mentioned several times in in reference to that, and uh, and maybe maybe I, maybe there's a personal reason for that, Tom. I don't know, but um, but maybe it's been kind of one of those weeks too, hasn't it? As we we saw more hurricane uh, tornadoes this week, right? Um, it's just Amazing, isn't it, to see these things uh, on the news and as they begin to pile up, um, I don't know about you, but uh, this lifelong Seventh-day Adventist is we have tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis and, and wars and rumors of wars, although I don't know if we have those anymore with 24-hour cable news, we just have news about wars, but it makes, takes my mind certain places. Does it for any of you? Uh, as you think about that the second coming and what proceeds at the end of time and those kinds of things so i thought it was on my heart this week and a little bit last week too so i thought let's take a break from colossians although there's even some things in colossians that could fit this well but i want to go to uh, a couple chapters that are our uh, favorites of mine that are very special to me uh and and we're going to study those together and look at what Jesus has to say in this. Some good news here. So if, if you're turning your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25. But first, actually, Mark chapter 13. So look for both of those. They're not far from each other. But I want to invite you uh, to imagine that we could be, because I would I would love this if if this were possible, that we could be flies on the wall. With the disciples in the story in in uh, Mark 13, except there's no walls, so it wouldn't be flies on the walls. It would probably be more like lizards sunning themselves on the rocks, okay, in the in the hot sun of the Judean countryside, right? So we're there and we're close to the disciples. We uh, we hear them talking. This is Peter and Andrew, James and John, their brothers. And they're discussing amongst each other. And we can listen in a little bit. And I wonder what we would hear. It would be something like, you know, did you hear what Jesus said? Do we, do we know what he's talking about? Do you think he means that this is the time for finally, you know, to, to set up the kingdom and all these kinds of things? Because what has just happened is the beginning of Mark chapter 13. It says this, verses 1 and 2. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, to Jesus, look teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. They're looking at this beautiful uh, Herod's temple. And Jesus said to them, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Well, this again is one of those statements that leaves the disciples a bit puzzled right (laughs) they just never know what to make of some of these things that jesus says so we find them here on the hilltop on top of the mount of olives and if we were lizards sunning ourselves on the rocks listening in we would hear them wondering what in the world it is and so in verse five they are in verse four they go to jesus and they said would you please tell us what will be the signs of these things and uh and when will they be and how are we know when they are to occur or to be accomplished And so this is when Jesus now goes into what we have come to turn to a lot when we think about the end of time. Jesus says, uh, let's read verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Verse 9, be on guard. Because they're going to deliver you up to councils. He begins to talk about this time of trouble and trial for the followers of Jesus. Life will not be easy. In fact, by the time we get to uh, verse 19, it says... For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. A time of intense trial, trouble, suffering, confusion, calamity on this earth, in this creation. And Jesus goes on to talk about the tribulation and some signs in the heavens. All of heaven will be breaking loose, things are falling apart. There is a fig tree. Learn the lesson from the fig tree. When you begin to see blossoms, you don't know exactly when the fruit is coming, but you know that it's coming for sure. And he finishes with this little parable in verse 32. Uh, Nobody knows the time or the hour. A reminder for us (laughs) to read. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, because you don't know when the time will come. It will be like, he says, a master that leaves and leaves his servants behind. And when he returns, the master is happy to find which kind of servant? Is he happy to find the servant that is standing at the door saying, I've been waiting here next to the door the whole time you were gone, waiting for you to come? Not doing the work that I was supposed to do while you were gone. Or is he happy to find, as Jesus says, the servant in the kitchen? doing the things that he was supposed to do. That's the one he's happy to find. The disciples hear Jesus say that, and I have a feeling that even after Jesus says all of that to them, it doesn't really clear things up for these disciples, right? I mean, this is the picture we get. Peter and Andrew, James and John wondering, okay. But, of course, it takes the experience of seeing Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and Jesus' appearance to them that things finally begin to click We move to the book of Acts and and the Holy Spirit has come to the disciples and and things are happening and, and amazing signs. And Peter stands up to preach filled with the Holy Spirit and he remembers the prophet Joel and says, in these last days the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on all people. And I wonder as I read that, could it be that Peter and the disciples in the intensity of what was happening with the Holy Spirit begin to wonder, could this be the time? After all, Jesus said, I'm going away and I'm coming back, and they didn't know when that would, but I bet you anything they hoped it would be soon. And so already in the beginning of the church, the disciples are thinking it could be any day now. Well, let's move forward just a little bit, because here I want us to think, just to put some flesh on blood of the, the story of the Bible itself and how it comes to us. We, we move forward... Uh, a few decades and we're getting into the later years when the first generation of people who had seen and walked with and heard jesus they're beginning to age and some of them are beginning to die and so these stories that the church has kept alive in their worship and their storytelling they realize you know as these eyewitnesses are starting to pass away we need to get these stories written down and it's possible it's very we have to be humble about this but it's very possible that as mark Begins to be moved by the Spirit to write the story of the gospel. It's quite likely that it is in the late 60s in, uh, in Judea and Jerusalem, in the, that part of the Roman Empire. And something, if you know history, something happens in the latter part of the 60s that turns the world of the Jews and thus the Christians as well, because they are still very close cousins, upside down. There there is a small group of Jews who finally decide they're going to take care of the thing that everyone kind of hoped Jesus would do, but he didn't. And they rise up against the Romans. And this Roman Empire, who has been rather lukewarm towards the Jewish people, realizes this is the last straw. And the heavy hand of Rome comes down on the Jewish people. Jerusalem and the temple are utterly destroyed. There is persecution and killing of the Jewish people. Uh, unlike anything that they had seen since their ancient forefathers and mothers. It is a time of tragedy and disasters for the Jewish people and by relation for their Christian cousins, many of whom were Jews themselves. And in the midst of seeing the temple destroyed, not one stone left upon another, and experiencing trials and tribulations, I wonder if those Christians were beginning to hear Jesus' words again and think, could this be the time? Mark, moved by the Spirit, sits down to write his gospel, and he begins to remember these words of Jesus, and he knows he has a community that he has to write good news to, and so he writes these words of Jesus, and for them, I think they must have functioned as words of hope and words of encouragement. These times will come. Jesus knew about it. they experiencing suffering and tribulation. And yet the message is, as they read Mark's Gospel, the reminder of the stories of Jesus, the end will come. And after all these trials and tribulations, Jesus will return. And that is good news. That is enough to give us strength to make it through the suffering and persecution that we are experiencing. And so I think that was good news that the people read back then. But now, let's, let's continue the story a little bit. Move forward another decade or two. Obviously, 2,000 years later, we realize Jesus did not come, right, during that time. It was later. And if we move forward another 10, 20 years into kind of a new generation, we have a guy named Matthew who is also being moved by the Spirit to write down his version of the gospel story. And imagine the different kind of mood and climate that he would have had in his church community. Since the intensity of the fall of Jerusalem and all the trials and tribulations, things have calmed down just a bit. Jesus has not come. And they're beginning to think about, okay, if not then, then when is this time that Jesus is going to come? What do we do while we're waiting? And it's so interesting That if we look at Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Matthew chapter 24 sounds a lot like Mark chapter 13. It's the same stuff that Jesus is talking about. Giving the signs, talking about the time of trouble, the intensity of what the world will experience near those end times. Even includes that parable about what kind of servant do you want to be when the master comes home? The one waiting by the door or the one doing the work the master hoped you were doing? But then Matthew who has a church community that may be wondering about when is this going to happen, remembers three more parables of Jesus. He adds to the story that Mark had been telling, remembering more of what Jesus is saying, because he now realizes in this context what Jesus says is very important. And so he tells these three parables, reminds us of Jesus' three parables in Matthew chapter 25. And you may remember these. Let's let's just refresh our minds of these parables. The first one, the parable of ten bridesmaids. Remember this? Jesus tells this parable to his disciples, there were ten bridesmaids invited to a wedding. And they know that their job as bridesmaids is to take their lamps and to go out and wait for that time when the groom will come, probably sometime at night. Uh, Weddings were even bigger deals than they are to us. They lasted for weeks. And there was this part where the bridesmaids and possibly the bride in some traditions would go and wait for the groom to come to get the bride and the bridesmaid's job was to announce that coming and and to have the the candles ready well remember there were five wise bridesmaids and five foolish ones and at first everything was fine because they got their oil and their lamps and they went and and it was good but at this particular wedding the groom was maybe a little extra uh, finicky about his hair or something because there was a delay right and The five foolish bridesmaids had not prepared for there to be such a delay, and the oil in their lamps ran out, they got sleepy, they fell asleep, while the other bridesmaid had prepared by bringing extra oil, that this may take longer than we think. And they were ready when the bridegroom came to announce, Behold, everyone look, you know, the bridegroom is coming, he's come. Let us all go out and meet him. Jesus says, Be like those wise bridesmaids. And he goes right into a second story, right? There was a master who had some servants and he was going on away way on a trip and he gave to the servants what the King James calls talents. And that's fine. Uh, and we, we often tell this story about using our talents, which at nominating committee time is a good reminder. So think that way if you want to, but talents are what? Money, right? Bags of gold is the way my Bible says it. and And, a, and this is a lot of money. 20 years wages is one talent, okay? So this guy, to the first servant, he gives 100 years wages, five bags of gold and says, take care of this and I'll come back and, and talk to you about it. He gives the second one, two bags of gold. Take care of this. To the third one, one bag of gold. Take care of this and when I return. The master goes away and what happens? The first one goes and he invests that five bag of gold and doubles it. The second one also goes and does the same. The third one is afraid of his master and he goes and buries it in the sand lest he lose it. When the master comes back, what is the accounting that he asked for? What have you done with the gold I left you? The first one says, I invested and doubled it. He says, wonderful. Second one, the same thing. Third one, he is not so happy with, if you read the story, is he? You should have invested what I gave you. And there's this beautiful verse that's also in your bulletin. It's both in verses 21 and 23. His master, if you're looking at chapter 25, 23, the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, I want to get it from the the NIV. Well done, good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master or the niv says enter into your master's happiness he's happy with those who have invested and jesus said so it should be with you and finally he reaches this third one where even though this one has more detail He's talking about sheeps and goats. So there is a certain level of symbolism here, right? Because we realize Jesus is coming for people, not sheep and goats necessarily. But it's the final judgment. The king comes to judge and separate the sheep from the goats. And you remember this amazing scene of what happens. As he looks at the sheep, he says to them, uh, I was hungry and I was thirsty and I was in prison and I was naked and you cared for me. And they said, What? We, we never saw you. He says, anything you did for the least of these, you did for me. Turns to the goats and said, you didn't do those things. They said, what? We didn't know that. Whenever you didn't do it for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And that will be the separation. Jesus tells these three parables. Matthew remembers them for the sake of a community who is wondering a certain question. And as I look at these three, and as you hear these three, do you see a theme emerging here, something in common that these all have? And I think there is. I would put it something like this What to do while you're waiting? How do we wait for Jesus to come? certainly that's the theme with these 10 bridesmaids, right? And what's the problem in the story? The groom is delayed. Imagine Matthew's community who now 10 or 20 years after the trials and tribulations is wondering, okay, what happens now? Imagine our situation, right? When we wonder, when we say Jesus is coming soon, we've been saying that for 150 years. The church has been saying that for 2,000 years. The groom is delayed. Is it possible that that's one of the things Jesus wants to communicate here, be ready in case the waiting is longer than you think. Our dear friend from Oakland, <laughs> Harold Camping, right? This guy who set, set dates, uh, is, is leading something that is doing the very opposite, right? Of saying, be ready in case it takes longer than you think. And as he has kept the money from all these people, I I know there's that part of us that wants to say, well, his heart's in the right place. And yet, as we see the fruits of what he's doing, it seems to be the opposite of what Jesus is talking about here, isn't it? That said, (laughs) we as Seventh-day Adventists, I mean, can this not echo in our minds, right? As Seventh-day Adventists, we know a bit about that kind of disappointment, don't we? We've been down that road before. And so we can certainly have a bit of compassion for the people who have been so torn apart by the disappointment that this man has led them to. And we also have an important lesson learned, I think, from our heritage that we can share in times like this, right? Uh, Our heritage and history as Seventh-day Adventists that is dear to us is one about being disappointment, But here's what amazes me and and attracts me and encourages me about our history is after we were disappointed, the thing that we then put our, uh, our forebears, put their energy and time into was an incredible awakening of building these religious institutions of healthcare going all over the world, of education going all over the world. That's what they decided to do after disappointment. Which seems that if you think Jesus is coming any minute, why would you spend so much time and energy on hospitals and clinics and and schools and these kinds of things? They had an incredible way of balancing two things, saying we believe Jesus is coming very, very soon, and while we're waiting, we have an incredible work to do. Their focus was a ministry that combined preaching, teaching, teaching, and healing. This is what they did while they were waiting. Their hope was anchored firmly that Jesus was coming soon, and they also recognized the need to keep working and living while they waited. So, the question we sometimes ask I think we ask ourselves, we sometimes ask each other, we sometimes ask a person on the street, are you ready for Jesus to come? I think we ought to add or maybe even shift to another question. Are you ready to wait? (laughs) I think, by the way, the beauty of the gospel, the good news about God's grace, is that we can answer the ready question very quickly, right? I mean, wouldn't it be the, the desire of, of an enemy to say, if you can spend all your time and energy worrying about whether or not you're ready, then I can distract you from doing anything of worth in the world. But the gospel of grace is I can answer that question. Yes, I'm ready now. How am I going to wait? So there's the second story as well, right? Building on a similar theme. We've got these servants and a master and their bags of gold. He wants to know at the end, what did you do with what I gave you, with what I left with you? He's displeased with that servant that feared the master, said, you are a a harsh man and I'm going to just bury, I was afraid. He's happy and says, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of a lot of things. Come and enter into your master's happiness. What a beautiful statement. An invitation into the master's Happiness, that changes the way we feel about the end times, doesn't it? We're all given something that we're responsible for in our life, right? Some are given many or large things. Some are given small things. We're all given things that we are responsible for in our lives. And every single one of us has that same incredible precious gift called life that we've been given and that question, I think, is uh, are, are we using these things well that we've been given? Are we being responsible with what we've been given to care for? Does the way we live show that we get? Yeah, life is a precious gift. <laughs> are we taking in moments of beauty and, and joy? Recognize that life is a precious gift, or are we just rushing right past them and missing them? Are we celebrating love and friendships and those things that God creates us for? Are we living, and here's how one author puts it, I really like this, are we living to enjoy God and to glorify God? How often do we realize that what God calls us to has the word joy or enjoy in it? It would throw some of us off, I think, right, if we got to the end. And when the king comes for an accounting of life, the question is, have you truly learned to enjoy life? Have you truly learned how to enjoy existence? Because I'm about to give you an eternity of life and existence, and what a shame it would be if you tried to rush through it and missed out on it if you haven't learned how to treasure existence. Rushing through eternity is, is an odd thing, isn't it? And yet, if that's what we practice. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a hard truth that we have to face, right, about life, that how we spend our time reflects our priorities, and our priorities reflect our values, and our values say a lot about whether or not we're grateful for God's precious gift of life that He's given us. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And so the question here I think Jesus poses to us is have you invested your life in things of true value and worth? And then there's that third story, the sheep and the goats. Some symbolic language here, right? Uh, And I think Jesus poses the following question. If the first question is, are you ready to wait and to live well while waiting? And the second question is, have you been faithful with this gift of life? Then the third question, the third story poses is, do you know me and do I know you? Because the line that we didn't cover, if you read that story, is Jesus, God, the the king says to the people on his right, on his left, left, (laughs) I never knew you, right? I never knew you. Do I know God? Does God know me? Have we learned to hear the shepherd's voice, as John would put it? In chapter 24, or in Mark 13, one of the things Jesus warns of is false messiahs, false Christs, false saviors, right? And he says, Don't be seduced and confused by these things that claim to be saviors, by claim to be the ones who offer salvation and solutions, but aren't really from God. Don't be seduced by those things. Don't be fooled. Some things claim to offer life, but don't. That's at the beginning of this couple chapters. At the end, now in the sheep and goats parable, Jesus talks about the flip side of this coin. Also learn... Not only to distinguish where the false saviors are, but also learn where to find the real Christ. And in chapter 25 of Matthew, Jesus said that Christ is to be found where? In the hungry and the thirsty, in the naked, in the prisoners. He's to be found there. In other words, says Jesus, While you wait faithfully for me to return, take care of the least of these my brothers and sisters. And when you do these things, it will be a sign, it will be evidence that you know me and I know you. That you know where Christ is to be found and where He isn't to be found. That you have come to know the shepherds Voice That you are hopefully and expectantly waiting for the return of the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. So I think as I was pondering these things this week and the last several weeks and months and even over the last year, when we see tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis and wars and all of these things it's perfectly natural for our minds to turn for a moment to these apocalyptic things, to think about the end of the world and the fact that, yes, creation is falling apart. The world is brokenness. We are right to turn our minds and our thoughts towards recognizing that our world is fragile and we have not done the job God asks us to do in caring for it. It's probably also a good thing and and responsible thing to, to give at least some consideration to the fact that, yeah, we've mishandled the job God gave us, and some of these things come from that. And then some of them just come because our world is a broken place dominated by sin, correct? That's what we believe as Christians. And so in all of that, when we see these things and our mind turns to these things, it's very right to be reminded that our hope is that all of this will someday come to an end, that God will come to make it all right, to put it back together, to save us from our own sin and brokenness, to build His new creation. It's right for our minds to begin to think and ponder all of those things. But I also think that those those considerations, those thoughts, those pondering, those questions are a first step, but there is a very important second step that needs to follow, right and quick and quickly it 's like I, I think of often the disciples in at the beginning of Acts, after Jesus has ascended into the air they 're standing there doing what probably all of us would be doing too and wondering what now, and it takes two angels to come and go, "Yo, men of Galilee." <laughs> Why are you standing, staring up into heaven? Jesus just promised you He's coming back. So now go into the world and do what He told you to go do. He'll come when He comes. You have a good work to do now. So I think in the face, like, like those disciples for us, in the face of tragedies and pains and brokenness around the world, the work we are called to do is a weighty, important work. And we start by thinking about the end times and the hope we have in Jesus and how the world is broken, but then we move quickly to what we do while we wait. How to be faithful waiters for Jesus' coming. It's the work of healing and giving hope to the people who need it so desperately in these times of tragedy. That's the faithful response Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples. That's the faithful response that these stories now speak to us through Scripture and encourage us with. That's the the response that the giver of hope asks of his followers and his people. So I think we could summarize these three stories and the the message, I think, that speaks to us in these times of of tragedy in, in three words that are the title of the sermon. Awake, Alert, and Alive. And it would be something like this, right? The first one is stay awake. Don't be trapped by sort of this now or never thinking that we get into that if Jesus isn't coming now, then He's not coming ever. Don't be lulled to sleep by the delay, beginning to just think, well, you know, it's coming sometime, we don't know. There is an awakeness that is important for us. Instead, as they say, keep hope alive. Wait faithfully and expectantly and patiently stay awake and second keep alert right keep your spiritual eyes wide open and your spiritual ears tuned carefully don't be deceived by false saviors because they are all around us things that promise salvation and do not offer it but also don't miss the chance to hear or see where christ might be present In the least of these, don't miss the chance to see where the Spirit of God is working and calling us and inviting us to join Him in work in the world. Keep alert and attuned while you wait. And finally, live fully alive with whatever God has given you in this life to have, to care for, to be responsible for, large or small. Be faithful with those things. Life itself is a precious, precious gift from God. Use it well. Live fully and faithfully with joy and live to God's glory in hope. So be strong and of good courage in these times and those to come. Jesus has promised to return and he will And that is something to hope for. May that day come soon. But in the waiting time, may you wait. Alive, awake, and alert. God bless you.